Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down. Just Our guest this week is a native Detroiter, born to BA in radio, TV, film, and journalism from Wayne State University while lettering for three years on the men's golf team. Once again, the men's golf team. Since 1982, she's owned Caper Steakhouse. And since 1984, she's been the director of music at a number of Detroit parishes. Also since 2008, she's been a member of the U.S. Navy Recruiting District Assistance Council. A phenomenal lady, her name, Janina Jacobs. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on News Talk 760 W. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to Janina Jacobs. If you go on the Google and look up a multi-threaded, talented person, there's a picture that shows up of Janina Jacobs. Janina, welcome. A real honor to have you. Well, thank you, Jack. It is truly a pleasure. Can we start by talking about your childhood and your mom and your dad, please? Jack, you know, I think I was probably the luckiest girl on the face of the earth. Um, I grew up in Detroit. My father was a firefighter. My mother was a homemaker. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but that really did not matter because we had so much love and care. And uh, my mom and dad made our home such a wonderful place that kids from all over the neighborhood would come. We, we basically had a, a sports palace. My dad built two putting greens. We had a regulation basketball court, ice rink in the winter with, with boards and lights. And uh, he built me my own life-size playhouse. We had chip and putt contests. We played tennis in the streets, but I think they were really smart because that was one way that they knew where us kids were all the time. We were home and all the neighborhood kids came to, to, uh, to visit us. And my mother, uh, my mother is the one who gave me my love of the arts and music. And uh, my father was more into the sports arena, but they melded together perfectly. And both of them were very, very hard and fast on education. So uh, my brothers and I all had uh, wonderful educations. Okay, let's, speaking of educations, let's go back to the mid 70s. You're at Wayne State University. This is the mid 70s. And you lettered in golf for three years at the Wayne State University men's golf team. How? Yeah, wasn't that fun? Um, well, I came along at a time, I graduated from Pershing High School in Detroit in 1973. And if you'll recall, some of your older listeners might know that in 1972 uh, was when Title IX was passed that allowed women to compete on men's teams where there was no uh, comparable women's team. And it was, I think, I believe it was non-contact sports. At any rate, um, golf, certainly a non-contact sport. And um, I was asked to join the men's golf team uh, going into the 12th grade. And when I went into that in 1972, and um, so I played one year as the first woman to play on a men's high school team. And then I received uh, a golf scholarship 
to Wayne State University uh, in addition to getting a four-year academic merit scholarship. So I really had the best of both worlds to have my college education taken care of. And so I played for those years on the men's team. And interestingly enough, uh, my brother, Chris, was on the men's team as well, two years ahead of me. So it was certainly an interesting dynamic. When you were playing matches and you come up with a against a guy, you know, from Michigan, Michigan State, whatever, Ferris State, what did what did they say and what did they do? And what did they do when you beat them? <laughs> well, I think at first it was a little bit of an initial shock because I, I don't think there were there were too many of me or any women competing. So when when I'd show up, they would, oh, well, who's this and why is she playing? And and quite quite honestly, I think a lot of the guys thought that I would be a real easy mark to beat. And um, just so you know, I did play from the same tees they did, the back tees. And we generally played in terribly cold weather in the spring. So sometimes you wouldn't have water hazards, you'd have ice hazards and snow and things like that. And uh, certainly I could not hit the ball the distances that the men hit it, but um, my short game more than made up for it as well as my accuracy because sometimes the guys would try to bomb it and be all over the course. And next thing you knew, when you added up the score, I might've been ahead. And, and it's kind of funny because I, I think at that time, I, I ran up against a lot of uh, gentlemen who are either in the golf business or professionals or working somewhere in, in the golf industry. And the funny thing is, I don't really remember whether I beat them or not, but they sure remember. Amen. All right. You also hosted a show called Golf Rap on this station, WJR 760, for many years. Talk about that show. I sure did, Jack. And th that was really a fun time. It was from about 1995 to uh, around 2000, not too long after JP had passed away. And, um, you know, that was a, a question of people ask, well, how did you get back? Because I had done some radio prior to that, but not a whole lot. And then here I am on the largest station in the country. And people didn't understand how that happened. But Again, it, it, it kind of goes back to um, being in the right place at the right time and for the right reasons. I was, uh, I was in working with the American Heart Association, running a, a help, helping to run a charity golf tournament with them and had the fortune to have Bill Evo as my um, uh, co-chair. And he asked me, Janita, why aren't you on radio or television with golf? You know, you do so well with people and, and the game. And, and he said, if an, if an opportunity fell into your lap, would you take it? And I said, well, of course. Well, next thing I know, I get a call from WJR asking if I would co-host the show. So we did that for five years. And every Saturday morning, I was up at four in the morning, driving an hour down to get to the, uh, to the station and uh, on the air at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. with my uh, co-host, Bruce Conroy. And I enjoyed every minute of it. It was it was a wonderful experience. Okay, speaking of enjoying every minute, let's go back to October 8th. You're at the Country Club of Detroit, and you and some other crazies <laughs> oh. participate in the 100-hole hike for youth on course. You played 100 holes. That's five and a half rounds. You walked five and a half rounds in one day. How and why? 
call, call, call us crazy, but you know, there's a lot of us out there that really do care about giving back and helping others. And uh, as much as I enjoyed my childhood, on the golf course, I started playing when I was uh, uh, eight years old at the Detroit Free Press Junior Golf School. Uh, when you completed that, you got to play nine holes of golf daily for a quarter. And uh, then it's affordable to play. A lot of us kids couldn't afford very much more than that. Well, fast forward to today, we know it's not cheap to play golf, but even though with junior rates, the kids can play, but it's still a lot of money. And youth on course, what they do is the kids join for five bucks. And there's, there's courses all over the country. We have a lot in Michigan. And that allows the kids to play golf nine holes for $5. The rounds have gone up exponentially. Uh, the number of kids joining the program has really gone up. And of course, it takes funding to be able to do that. And so what it the 100-hole hike does is those of us who undertake that grueling day, we seek pledges from our friends and colleagues and neighbors and do a little arm twisting. And uh, they pledge money for us to finish the, uh, the hike. And I decided I would do that. Okay, I'm 65 years old, I get that, but I feel like I'm a very young 65. And even though I walked four to six miles every day, I felt I could take on the challenge of the 12 or 13 miles and the eight or so hours it took for us to play and hundreds of swings, by the way. Um, and it, it was sort of a leap of faith. And I decided I was going to do it and I was going to complete it. And I did. I, I was just so tickled that um, I was able to, to take that on and in doing so help these kids get on the golf course and to enjoy the game of a lifetime that I have been privileged to enjoy myself. We're talking to Janina Jacobs and that was on a lark. Well, back in 1982, she and her husband, Gary, bought something on a lark. And almost 40 years later, it's still there. And we'll talk to her when we come back about Capers Steakhouse. And I'm Jack Rasula and this is Anything Is Possible on News Talk 760 W. Welcome back. Anything is possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with Janina Jacobs. Janina, back in 82, you and Gary buy Capers Steakhouse on Gratiot, half mile south of Eight Mile. You still own it. 40 years later, how has it ever survived? Jack, you know, that is a very, very good question. Um, first of all, getting into the business was nothing that uh, either of us envisioned. Uh, nobody was in the restaurant business. I didn't know how to cook. I was busy playing golf, going to school, doing music, such and such. Uh, never poured a beer. Didn't know how to do anything. And uh, an investment opportunity came about. And... Unfortunately, well, or maybe fortunately, the partners that were in the business uh, with us and who were supposed to take it over and who were supposed to run it left. So there we were with a uh, little bar grill on Gratiot Avenue that was uh, sinking quickly. It was um, it was going downhill. It wasn't doing very, very well. And it's one of those situations where you take it and do something with it or you sell it. And it was very, very close to being sold. In fact, there was a buyer came in that had cash on the barrelhead and wanted to buy it. 
And one of the reasons that didn't happen is because the partner, one of the partner's parting words were, and I quote, you'll never make this work. Well, that's sort of a challenge. And what you do is you say, no, you know what? I think we're going to take a stab at this. So it took a few months. We came up uh, with an idea that was started actually down the street of Steak by the Ounce. And instead of doing it once a week like they did, we decided to do it every day. You could order any size steak you want. And it's kind of odd for steak to be a lost leader item. For those of you who are in the retail business or restaurant business, a lost leader is certainly something that's not your most expensive item on the menu. But that's what we did. And um, we started that out. And within a few months, actually, we're starting to turn a profit because the idea was so novel that people came in to see hey, can I really get this good of a steak? Can I really get this food for this cheap of a price? I think we started out at 30 cents an ounce. So uh, you do the math and uh, that's very, very reasonable. And it caught on. And ever since then, it's just been um, year after year of adding this, adding that, adding staff. In fact, we still have a lot of staff, a few staff members that have been uh, with us for 30, 35 years which is really amazing in this business. And it's been, it's been quite a journey, especially with the area that we are in. Uh, it, it's really not one of the areas that's been developed by the city of Detroit too much. But if you happen to go by, you will see, we own the whole block, so you will see an area that is just, it's really beautiful. I mean, the buildings that are located there, we have a warehouse next door, parking lots, and they're all very, very well kept up and clean. And it really gives the neighborhood people uh, and, and our customers a wonderful place to go to have a, a nice dinner. Now, granted, we're still closed for dine-in because of COVID. Uh, hopefully, we're looking to open up soon. So don't quote me on that, but that's where we're aiming for. But we, we have done the carryout since the, um, the pandemic started uh, in March of 2020. And so uh, we are still offering great food, great value to our neighborhood clientele, to downtown, to across the city. Our customers come from everywhere, Jack. It's really amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's been quite a journey in, uh, in that restaurant business, one that I never expected to undertake. But here we are 40 years later, still there. And she's also known as the queen of steaks. Um, well, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess the prime rib is the king of steaks. I'm not sure what the queen of steaks is, but I'll take it. Um, we're talking to Janina Jacobs and from her mom, who played the piano and sang, she got another very, very great talent that she has used all these years. Being an organist, piano player and singer. When we come back, we'll talk about that aspect of her life. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Crisula, or Janina Jacobs. And since 1984, 
She's been director of music at a number of parishes in the city. Janita, how did you ever get your first gig as an organist in a Catholic parish? Jack, that is really a very interesting story. Um, as a child, as I had mentioned that, that my mother and father were so instrumental uh, in, in our upbringing, that my mom, she was more into music and arts. And at a very young age, um, she started, well, not just me, but my brothers on instruments. And I really wanted to start playing the piano at age three, but they wouldn't give lessons to kids that young at that time. So I'd plunk notes out on the piano that we had. Uh, I remember plunking out the tune to the Rifleman. I heard it and I started going to play it. But finally, by age seven, the music teacher would take me. So I was able to have private lessons at my home from ages seven to 14. And so by the time I was 14, I could play pretty much anything that, that I tried to. Concurrently during that time, we also were part of what was known as the Detroit Civic Center Theater, where we went down for weekly rehearsals. We, we had singing, dancing, acting, and we put on plays all over the uh, uh, Detroit area. We put on plays at uh, the Art Institute, at Ford Auditorium, at Cobo Hall. We took part in the, in the parades. In the summers, we would do tent shows at different parks within the city. And I was always acting as a kind of a child actor in uh, musicals. And I also had a couple of television gigs where I had to go on because I was a lead role in Snow White and go and sing uh, a song on the Captain Jolly show. So uh, that was an early introduction to what was about to come. Well, by the time I was 16, we were parishioners at St. Rita's Church in Detroit. And my oldest brother, Michael, who was uh, just a, a joy, just a, a loved life and enjoyed everything in it, he had joined the choir. And he said, you know, Tweet, my nickname was Tweet as a kid, and my brother still call me that, and all the nieces and nephews call me that too. Uh, he says, Tweet, you know, you really should join the choir. And I looked at him and I go, well, why would I want to join the choir? That, that, that's just, well, my brother was persuasive. I joined the choir, and it didn't take very long when the music director, uh, Richard Vestudo, uh, unfortunately, who recently just passed away here a few um, months ago, he said, you know, Janina, you play, you sing beautifully. Um, how would you like to learn the pipe organ? Well, I'm 16. Okay. All right. What the heck? I'll, I'll learn the pipe organ. So he started private uh, lessons tutoring me in the fundamentals of uh, pipe organ. And then he said, well, you know, while you're doing that, you might as well learn the fundamentals of liturgy in the Catholic Church. So I said, okay, I'll do it. Well, next thing you know, I started to get hired by different people and him to play and sing masses at funerals and weddings and, and just regular uh, church services and um, had the talent to do both, which is, which is a nice uh, perk to be able to play and sing well. And so from one thing led to another, I started subbing at different parishes. And then eventually they asked me at St. Rita's if I would, would take the job. And I did on a part-time basis. And I stayed there for 14 years. After that, I was at St. Basil's in East Point for 20 years. And then now I'm at St. Jane Francis uh, de Chantel in Sterling Heights. 
as well as San Francesco Italian Church, doing masses in Italian, which I don't speak very well, but I try hard. And then uh, and a whole host of churches that do call me uh, to come and play and sing at funerals and weddings and uh, other services. So if you had asked me when I was 16, if 50 years later, I would be still doing music in the church, I probably have to chuckle and say, no way. But here I am, you know, life, life does funny things to you. And uh, you, you end up doing things that you never expected that you would do. Uh, we're talking to Janina Jacobs. If you want to learn more, www.sjfparish.org. Janina, through the centuries, music has always played a key role in worshiping our Heavenly Father. Why is that? Well, you've heard that music is the universal language. The first time I saw that, it was in elementary school. I think our music teacher, you know how you used to cut construction paper out and you make letters and you put it up on, on a display. Uh, she had put that up on, on the bulletin board. And I don't know why I remember it, but I do. And I think that's the first part of why music is so important. As a universal language, every country in the world they all have their style of music. They all have their special songs. They all have songs that play a part in religion and worship and spirituality. And of course, the Catholic Church is no different than that. And I, I know that, I, I don't know if, if our, our listeners have, have ever dealt with dementia. I'm sure they probably have or relatives or have worked in, in the area. But it's kind of an interesting thing that there may be people who have dementia that might not remember anything. They may not remember their family. They may not remember their name. But if you play a song or sing a song that they know, they will sing it in most cases. And it is, it is the most interesting phenomena. And I think that's because music from the time you're, you're little, and, and I know mothers a lot of times will sing music to their unborn babies. They'll, they'll, they'll just sing. And I have no doubt that's what my mother did to me because um, I just sort of innately always loved music and had an affinity for it. And it touches people on so many levels. And if you look at fundamentals of, of music, musical notes are just really vibrations. The whole universe runs on vibrations, spiritual, planal, those types of things. And it will touch us in different ways. Sometimes people ask me, Janina, how in the world, now I've done music at probably thousands of funerals, and people ask, how can you do that? How do you maintain um, an upbeat personality or an upbeat mode when you're when you're doing that? You're, you're in front of families that have lost somebody and and it's heartbreaking in many cases. How do you how do you do that? And my answer to that is that I know that what I do, bringing my music to uh, a church setting or funeral home or wherever it might be, um, I look at it as an uplifting experience. The Catholic Church celebrates uh, uh, resurrection. It celebrates life. 
We don't focus on death so much. And I look at it and what I do as bringing people out of a very, very tough situation, even if only for the hour that we are in in the mass. And I try to play music. I try to sing heartfelt music. I do let it come from the heart. And just for those who wonder how can thousands of funerals be special or memorable, I have to tell you that every time I walk into a church to do a celebration of life, it means something to me. And I give it my all. And I give it everything that I would want a musician to do for me in my time of need. So I think music uh, music is everywhere. You can't go anywhere in today's world where you don't hear music. It's in elevators. It's in the restaurants. It's in the stores. And goodness, Jack, it's even on golf carts now. People bring their, their iPods and their music um, when they're playing golf, which is kind of a different experience for me because I always looked at golf as a place of, uh, of respite and quiet. But that seems to be what, what people want. And, and I guess more music in people's life is always a good thing. And here's Janina performing a portion of Be Not Afraid. You shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander far in safety, though you do not know the way. You shall speak your words in foreign lands, and all will understand. You Janina Jacobs, Be Not Afraid. And oh, by the way, the most used phrase in the Bible, 365 times in the Bible is, be not afraid. And boy, Janina, do all of that, do all of us need to hear that song in today's world? We sure do, Jack. But you know, I have to say, you educated me in something I did not know. So I'm glad we chose that song. Anything is possible. Uh, And I'm Jack Pasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Jack Pasula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything is possible.
I'm Jack Basula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to a world-class entrepreneur with several businesses in the food service, real estate development, the music arena, and the golf industry. But her greatest talent probably lies in recognizing operation shortfalls while connecting people working in the same direction on various projects. Janina Jacobs. Janina, another aspect of your life, another passion for your life is your love for veterans. Talk about that, please. Well, we wouldn't be here today in this country without our veterans. And we can never forget that. Uh, my father was Army. And up until the day he died, even though he had a little issue with dementia himself, he surely knew what right face, left face, about face was. That's how you can connect. He told stories. He loved to talk about it. Uh, my husband served in the Army as well in Vietnam. And my nephew, I'm proud to say, one of my brother's uh, sons, is, uh, well, was a Navy SEAL for 10 years and served his country in that way. And with, without our veterans, I, I just really don't know where we would be. And because I came up in a, in a time where we really didn't have any, any wars, um, so I didn't have a chance to serve or to join the service. Um, but I have to say that if I had grown up now, I really would have looked at possibly joining some branch of the military service because of of what they do, the technical uh, availability, what the, the, the perks once you get out as a veteran. I mean, they, they offer such, such great, great opportunities. And so the way that I felt that I could serve, even though I didn't technically serve, is that I could get involved in veterans activities through um, many organizations. And it all started back in 2008, of all things, when three Navy chiefs, walked into my restaurant one afternoon that I happened to be there. And I was kind of curious because really Michigan doesn't have a Navy presence or so I thought. And it was a real, a real, oh, I wasn't sure if I should approach them or not and say, hey, you know, who are you guys and what are you doing here? But my curiosity got the better of me and I did. And I thanked them for their service and said, what, what do you, what's Navy do here in, doing here in Michigan? Well, their answer, which was the recruiting district um, Navy in Michigan, every state has a recruiting district. And so I uh, found out that they were very, very active. They found out everything I did and said, well, Miss Jacobs, our, our commander needs to meet you. Well, I did. And the next thing I knew, I was on the board. Next thing I knew, I was the chair of the board. Next thing I knew, I was on the USS Detroit Commissioning Committee for the ship that came here in 2016 to be commissioned. I was running special events for the Navy and, and the uh, commissioning week. Then uh, I became affiliated with the Selfridge Base Community Council, with uh, the Freedom Center, the military assistance lounges at the airport, um, the Guardian Angels Service Dogs Organization. I'm doing work with so many different veterans and military organizations. And the nice thing about that is I'm bringing my music into it. I'm bringing my golf into it. And we're doing so many great programs that are exposing to veterans and military um, to these, these perfect uh, venues of, of art and sports. And not only that, but we're helping to raise funds 
for these much needed causes. And as I've continued to, to work with these veterans organizations, it seems like I don't move from one to the other. I just keep adding them because I see the connections and I see that, that I can kind of be a conduit that reaches out to all of them. And, and Jack, you know that we're more powerful working together than we are individually. And that is one thing that, that I continue to, to believe in. Uh, and I mentioned to you before um, that one of, well, the main motto I follow is accept every invitation. And I have found that by doing it, I have been able to go more places, meet more people, see more opportunities, do more things than I ever thought I would be possible, that it would be possible to do uh, in my life. Uh, little seeds, they sprout into to big plants. And uh, through that motto, it's taken me places that I, I can't even imagine not having done and people that I would not have met. And it, plus it also gives me those leaps of faith where I can attempt things that I never thought would be possible, such as what your show is all about. Anything is possible. If you want to attempt it, you do it. You try it. So what's the worst that's going to happen? You'll fail. But really, failure is not failure. All it is is something you found that didn't work. So you just move on to the next thing, the next connection, the next opportunity. I love working with the veterans. And, and as long as I have legs to stand on and, and a heart that beats, I'm going to continue to do that. 2% of the people quit after they hear the word no once. 2% of the people quit after they hear the word no five times. Janina, 95% of us quit before we even ever hear the word no. You are that 1%, that quintessential overachiever. You never quit, and you think you can do anything, and you have. How do I learn to do that? That is a really good question. I haven't thought about it because, quite honestly, Jack, I have to say that for some reason, I don't know, maybe I have the Holy Spirit on my side. I've been told that by a few people, Janina, You've got the Holy Spirit right on your back. You've got some guardian angels behind you. It seems like when I ask for something, people don't generally say no. It has happened, oh yes, a few times, but sometimes I just ignore that and I just keep on going. Or maybe I put it on a shelf and I revisit it later because sometimes when you're attempting something, Maybe it's not the right time, the right place, the right person, or the right connection. But that doesn't mean that you give up on it, that you, that you forget about it. You just sort of put it in a spot, and then something comes along sooner or later, and you go, oh, wait a minute. Snap my fingers. Yeah, you know, I tried something with it. It didn't work then, but I bet it will work now. And I think you just have to have faith. You know how, how they always say that... Uh, we plan and God laughs. Well, that can work negatively, but it can also work positively because I think my God is a laughing God. My God is a happy God. And I think uh, God wants us to do everything that we can while we're on this earth to help people. Uh, and in doing that, it really does fulfill our own lives and it fulfills our destinies, sometimes destinies that we're not even aware of. I admire you for many things. 
Two of them are, you're always joyful, always upbeat, and you're very grateful. How do I get those two things, Janina? I think you always have to look at the good in what is in the world. You can, especially now, you can look out and you can see all the bad things are happening. We, we don't even have to go into that because I don't want to do that. I think sometimes the best thing people can do is turn off the television, turn off the TV, read some good books, look for the positive things in life. Sit there when you wake up in the morning, be grateful that you woke up. As somebody who does all the funerals that I do, there are a lot of people that never had that last wake up that, that we have had. So you have to be grateful just in the little things. I look at flowers blooming. I look at the fact my raspberry bush is still out there blooming. And when I'm done with this interview, I'm going to go out and pick a few raspberries and eat them because I can. Janina, we're grateful for having you. We're grateful for all you do for our community. Keep up the great, great work. Thank you so much, Jack. And I really appreciate you having me on my show. Your show, sorry, uh, not my show. <laughs> Please join us next Saturday. Hopefully I'll still be the host. This is Jack Prasula. Thanks for listening. Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe in yourself.